The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Yo, check out my DJ skills. Dad, yo, those are mad DJ skills. KUCI Irvine. Bubba Bass, how low can you go? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ask a Leader. I'm your host once again, Claudia Shambaugh. Welcome you to my November 13, 2012 edition. Today, we are going to have on first Tammy Strobel, who will address, uh, we've addressed recurrent uh, difficulties we've had with our increasingly cluttered and what we w- she would call our encumbered lives. We've covered some different ways in the past, but we're going to do it with Tammy. She's going to talk about her book, You Can Buy Happiness, and it is cheap. November is also National Hospice Month, and we will take up the second half with my guest, Ann Hublitzel, who is the CEO of Hospice Care of California, and we'll talk about that link they have with the veterans this month as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. My first guest is Tammy Strobel. In the past, as I said a little bit earlier, we've nibbled around the edges of how our consumptive behavior leads to waste of resources, both community and personal. And today, we'll look at a whole approach to living and how the current levels of consuming have led us astray from an otherwise rich life. To this end, Tammy Strobel's thoughtful treatise, You Can Buy Happiness and It Is Cheap, offers lessons in detail as to why and how this can be accomplished through reconsidering our relationship to time, money, yes, and plain old stuff. Lifestyle changes she lays out for us improved her marriage as well as her relationships with her friends and family members. She comes to us from a small farm community just east of Eureka, California. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Tammy Strobel. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the show. Well, you have certainly given me more focus when I've uh, read your book in preparation for today, and I'm really, really delighted that we get to uh, enter into this material and re-enter it. And folks, during this pledge drive, I want you to think of one premium I'm going to add today. Uh, I'm going to uh, purchase a copy, and I'm going to send it to whomever is going to give a pledge of at least $50 of uh, this premium being You Can Buy Happiness and It's Cheap. It's just such a wonderful book for us to start right where we are. Well, Tammy, you, by your own description, were trapped in this consumerist mindset. What brought on the revelation that life could be otherwise, it could go differently? Was it some insight like your special aunt that you mentioned in the introduction uh, about her resourceful living during the Depression? Or was it your husband suggesting that maybe a smaller apartment might help you through the monthly uh, budgeting? What was it that got this whole project started? Well, it was a lot of things. (laughs) It was kind of a culmination of conversations with my husband, Logan, with 
um, experiences that I was having at work with uh, family, and I was really just so stressed out. I was in debt. I was unhappy, and I knew that something had to change. You know, I realized how fortunate I was. Um, you know, I had a roof over my head, food to eat. I was married to the man of my dreams and still am, but I was just so depressed. And so kind of starting on this path of simplifying has made me a whole lot happier, I guess, seven years later now. So it's definitely been a process. So seven years later, and um, as, uh, you know, full on as your approach and your suggestions and guidance are, you're also, by your own example, uh, letting us know that it can be as gradual a process as, as, you know, as we want and need to make this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the book, I really kind of try and emphasize that everyone has very different lives, and it's really important to take time and examine what you really need in your own life and what's enough. And that's going to look different for everyone. You know, I always tell folks that, you know, not everybody wants to live in a super small house like Logan and I do, and that's totally okay. It's just really about finding what works for you in your own life. Well, Tammy, when you say small, uh, you were starting out in like a, what, about 1,200, 1,500 square foot home, but not, how small is small now? And people may wonder, are you in a storage container? Are you in a mobile <laughs> home? Or are you, uh, what's the size now? So we live in a tiny house, and it's on wheels. It's 128 square feet, and to give listeners an idea of kind of the dimensions, um, it's 8 feet wide, it's 16 feet long, and then 13 feet high, and so it would fit into your average parking space. But it's a great little dwelling because, like, we have a sleeping loft, and there are windows everywhere in the structure so it makes it feel more open and bigger than it really is so yeah it's really cute but I might be biased too (laughs) well it's what it's the home you make we make our homes so uh, but but you were finding as you mentioned in your book though as you started to downsize that you know taking one room out of your uh, your dwelling unit you know paring down a room going to a smaller one you were already seeing a change in your your budgeting and uh, and uh, letting up on some of those uh, aggravating kinds of um, dispositions in dealing with debt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we kind of went smaller over time, you know, we shrank our living space. And so in turn, we didn't have to pay as much rent, you know, moving from like a two bed, a large two bedroom apartment to a one bedroom to a smaller one bedroom and then a studio, you know, our rent shrunk and the amount of stuff that we had shrunk as well. So it really saved us a lot of money and really time. I don't have to clean as much now, which is nice. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk about that. But what the other question I have um, is your the demographics of your home. Who is, tell us uh, who and the number of people or pets, or who's living in this home? Oh, sure. So it's myself and my husband, Logan, and we have two small cats, and um, we fit perfectly in the house. We designed it to meet our needs, and uh, we have everything we could want. We have a little oven and a, a, a little burner to make our coffee in the morning. You know, like I said, we have the sleeping loft and a little window nook and plenty of storage for our stuff. So uh, it works well for Logan and I. So uh, with this 
formula approach change uh, were children to be um, a part of the the uh, demographic at some later date? Well, you know, personally, I don't want to have kids. I like being an aunt and uh, love hanging out with my nieces and nephews. But in my book, I interviewed a lot of different folks who have kids and live in small spaces. So it's definitely something that can be done. Um, So I would definitely say check out the book. And then, you know, if you are a parent that wants to kind of downsize your living space, there are a lot of resources out there that can help you. One book that comes to mind is Little House on a Small Planet, and it's just super awesome, so check that out. (laughs) Well, Tammy, that's what's so phenomenal about your book. You give us so much literature to to peruse uh, as the resources for putting together um, the whole, we'll call it the mind, uh, the theory of the mind and the social being in uh, and the relationship of how um, unwieldy budgets and clutter can undermine that those um, those dispositions, uh, mental and social and all that. And so it's a, I will we can bring up any one of these books. Um, the, but the one item I thought it re- what it made me think of was when I read in uh, as an undergraduate uh, political theory there was Thorstein Veblen's conspicuous consumption, mm. and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's also it's sort of like the guy in from the late nineteenth uh, late half of the nineteenth century uh, talking uh, about. Uh, what outward consumption was meant to project to other people, and sort of, you're you're going in the reverses. The the uh, there's an inward sort of uh, decline of one's life quality as uh, we're uh, as our consuming uh, that insidious sort of consumerist culture uh, invades our daily behavior. Yeah, it's. You know, it was really fascinating for me as I read, um, you know, the literature about happiness and consumerism and all these topics. And, you know, it's kind of, at least from my personal experience, you know, seven years ago, I thought that having more and more stuff would make me happier in a bigger house and more cars. But that turned out really not to be true for me. I think um, I went a little overboard. <laughs> And so it's hard to be happy when you're stressed out and in debt. And now I have a wealth of time that I can spend with my loved ones. And, um, you know, that's really, really important to me. You know, like my dad passed away in June. And I I spent the first part of this year traveling back and forth from Portland to California helping take care of him. And, you know, if I, the Tammy seven years ago wouldn't have been able to do that. And so... This lifestyle has really helped me shift my perspective in terms of what's really important. That was major important, and I I have a personal experience with uh, showing up having a, a larger uh, a role in uh, what it is to survive a parent and that kind of a thing. Um, so I that's a that's a very important point. Well, we we have I think in our immediate demographic um, uh, some uh, you address in your book when you're talking about the. Uh, affluent adolescents being uh, they're at risk they have mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Madeline Levine's The Price of Privilege that you talk mm-hmm. about with they have the highest rates of depression substance mm-hmm. abuse anxiety disorders somatic complaints and unhappiness of any group in this ch- of, in the whole country yeah it's it was pretty shocking when I read that. Um, and, you know, I think the crux of her research is really just about, you know, kids. Of course, you know, we need stuff to meet our needs, but what kids really want is time with their parents and kind of, 
you know, we're hardwired for connection. And if you don't get that connection and sense of belonging, you end up with a whole host of other problems that she talks about in her research. So that's the price of privilege. Uh, one of the um, directions that Tammy Strobel sends you in. Uh, for those of you who just joined us, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to you live all over the world on KUCI.org. It is our the last days of our fun drive today is, and uh, I'd love to hear someone call. Heather's out taking calls now. It's 949-824-5824. I'm offering, I don't know if it's been given up yet, but I'm offering the book that is our focus of this half of the hour, You Can Buy Happiness and It Is Cheap, uh, written by Tammy Strobel, who is our guest today in this half of Ask a Leader, and we're talking about the many, many very heady resources that Tammy's incorporated into the reading, and uh, as you say, this connection, we're hardwired. You say most people want time, love, and attention from their friends and family, and uh, this minimalism that you talk about, I'm quoting you now, concepts like minimalism, downsizing, voluntary simplicity, and even personal happiness mean different things to different people. How did these those concepts change you? Oh, my gosh. In, in so many ways, but I think really uh, the core of it for me is that, you know, stuff really doesn't matter. Stuff can be replaced, but people can't. And so for me, my focus is really on relationships, and um, I didn't have that focus in my early 20s, and I'm glad that I've shifted to, um, you know, those who are around me, because I think all of us have a tendency to kind of take for granted those that are closest to us because they're right there and I think it's really important to kind of uh, show appreciation for how lucky we are to have friends and family that really care about us. Amen. That's true. That's true. Um, and we're um, we're talking about uh, the when you were saying you were uh, able to attend to your father uh, at his end and um, had you been uh, dealing with keeping your daily, your monthly payments with your full-time work, uh, that you know that it would have been, uh, you would have missed out on this process with your father. And, and mm-hmm. Bill McKibben, you mentioned in Deep Economy, talks about the low yield as in er, as earnings are increasing. So mm-hmm. the, the more you're involved with that, and I notice that too. There are certain places where I go. Um, some high-income communities, and it's it's a it's in a a zone of a, a it's an abandoned zone during some remarkable times of the day, because they're out there earning hard <laughs> the money uh-huh. to to pay for their waterfront property. And uh, sometimes I uh, when I have more unstructured work schedules, I like to go to like the canals around uh, Belmont Shores, and I notice there's nobody there, but it's a it's like a private park, uh, you know, that one can enjoy because you know, they're the others are away earning, uh, you know, for those mortgages. So, um, you talk about the cost of consumer spending becomes a trap. It reduces. This is the uh, interesting paradox. It reduces one's choices. Debt has to be paid off through working more, less time left off to contribute to community or help a friend in need. Something that would give us joy. So that trap is such an insidious thing. It really is, and definitely I was there in that trap, and it's not fun, (laughs) you know, and I just, um, 
it's kind of it's interesting because now we're living in a, a really rural community outside Wairika, California, and we are living really close to family, and that's uh, very important to us. And it's kind of my husband last night was saying it's really nice to have this time of reflection as we close out 2012 because so much has happened for us this year. You know, my dad died. My husband's job was moved to Boston. There were a lot of other family traumas that occurred, too. And so we were just like, wow, there's been so much loss this year. And at the same time, we feel really lucky that we've been able to kind of respond to the loss and be a little more flexible in, in our response, if that makes sense. Well, some listeners are going to wonder, he, he his job is in Boston, so he has another dwelling somewhere else, or is he... No, no, no. His job was moved to Boston, and so he had the option to take that job, but he declined it because we opted to move back to California. Um, we didn't want to go across the country and pursue a higher-paying job and uh, in a strange city when so much was happening close to home. We just felt like we really needed to reconnect with our family and be close to them, which we've done. And so it's getting to that connection, as you say, and I'm quoting you, if you want to reward yourself for working hard, don't buy more things. Spend money on experiences or donate your extra cash to a cause you believe in. What a wonderful vaulting point for our reconsidering our priorities. Some examples? you know, focusing on those experiences, um, it's such a, a powerful thing. And uh, like the happiness researchers I mentioned in my book talk yes. about, you know, if you do have a little bit of excess income, putting that money towards maybe a vacation or like a yoga membership or even setting it aside to go out to dinner once a week, you're going to gain more happiness from those experiences than going out and buying more stuff which I think is pretty interesting. Or the security of knowing you have a little nest egg put away. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, that's a good thing, too. Of course, saving money (laughs) is positive, but um, I guess, you know, their point being that, um, you know, you can save and you can spend a little money, too, and not feel bad for that, you know? Well, what's lovely, among other many features in your book, is uh, are the many... Uh, action, micro actions that you uh, talk about in each one of your chapters. You have one about travel, about the smaller house, about time management. Uh, Mm -hmm. Would you like to take a favorite chapter and uh, unpackage uh, the steps of micro actions? We're not going to steal the thunder. We're going to really encourage people (laughs) to pick up the book. It's called You Can Buy Happiness and It Is Cheap by my guest Tammy Strobel, my guest this morning, and uh, which do you have a chapter you'd like to walk us through to demonstrate the kind you lay out a, a personal history, a backdrop for why you're approaching this particular topic, and it's really it's a very nuts and bolts way of helping us take the next step. Could you t- give us a favorite chapter? Sure. Of- well, what I, it's hard to pick a favorite, but um, one that's been really helpful for me over and over again is all about kind of looking at how I'm spending um, my time every yes. day. And um, in the chapter devoted to kind of time management, um, I have a micro action that's all about tracking your time. And so Whenever I start to feel really overwhelmed, I print out my Google Calendar and I basically record what I do throughout the day and I I track it for a week. 
Oh. And then I look back at that calendar and I look for spots where maybe I'm not using my time as effectively as I might. So, for example, four years ago I was spending, you know, two or three hours a day watching TV. And by tracking my time, I was able to see what I was doing with my day-to-day behavior and make changes based on, like, seeing how I was actually spending my time. Because I think um, we all have a tendency to be like, well, I'm spending my time in this way, and in reality that might not be the case. So... I would definitely encourage folks to do that regardless of your kind of life circumstance because it can really open your eyes and um, time slots to focus on other things like hobbies that you love or maybe spending more time with friends and family and things like that. That's lovely. And there's um, the art of community building and the, the power of tiny pleasures. I have to quote from that. It's, as you say, regularly feeling and expressing gratitude makes us less stressed depressed and anxious and it helped you deal with in one case grieving your grandmother's loss yeah it's um the the power of practicing gratitude daily is so important and i just actually listened to a ted talk last night about happiness which one was that what was that which ted talk was that um i'm trying to remember the gentleman's name and it's slipping my mind but Um, One of his points was that if you take 15 to 20 minutes a day and journal um, about the things you're grateful for, that it will make you happier in the long run and reduce your stress level. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, it's just such an easy way to practice gratitude and just incorporate a little happiness in your day-to-day life. Well, I think in sort of the, the give and take and rough and tumble of relationships, Something, Tammy, I've noticed I've been doing recently, uh, not writing it down, but in the moment with a friendship that I really value, I take that moment and I express to them how much I value that friendship. That's awesome. And that's such a beautiful way to like give thanks and practice gratitude and just directly telling someone how you feel. It really, it's, I mean, it's like a two-way street. I, something, I, something I need to express to them so they know they they really understand that I, it, how much they mean to me, and uh, it it and it, as you said, there's a, it's almost a chemical thing coming back to you, and you get uh, the benefit of, of of expressing that uh, that gratitude, and it's it can come across, folks. I it, I may sound pretty earnest on this show, but it's this it, that earnestness can I think it comes across pretty genuinely because. Imagine you say that to somebody. Imagine what they might even say back. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's 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 what you pick up in there. Well, I want to um, give everybody a chance to know that they can look up more about what you're doing, Tammy Strobel, on your website. It's it's still it's rowdykittens.com. It's a blog, correct? Correct. Yeah, I've got my blog there. Links to. Um, the book and where you can buy the book. It's available on Amazon.com, on Barnes & Noble, Powell's, among other spots. And, um, yeah, there's all kinds of information on the website. So come come by and say hi. <laughs> RowdyKittens.com is the website where Tammy Strobel's uh, ongoing comments about uh, what she's starting a project, her seven-year endeavor to, to strip down. And I I must say, Tammy, from reading it, I mean, I I have my issue with uh, accumulation of, I think my my biggest um, my biggest consumer problem is two newspaper dailies, and mm-hmm. I think I'm going to get back to that 
uh, August uh, August 2012 travel section of the New York Times. I just know there's something there, but I'm I'm beginning to think if I just keep keep your book in the forefront, I'm thinking, well, you know, I could look it up online. You uh-huh. know, I don't have to because that, as you say, the clutter makes it. We spend more time finding what it is we really need at the moment under the clutter. If the clutter's gone, we've just saved ourselves, and everybody can imagine how much time if they don't have to hunt something down that they've just saved. Exactly. It's a huge time saver and stress stress saver, too. <laughs> so it's um, now, as we said, uh, we're, 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 as we pan consumerism, as uh, we know it's rampant here, we, do, we did want to make sure people knew how to get your book, and you were good enough to give us all those kinds of outlets. So um, I let's see. I I want to uh, just there's some few there are other books that you mention here. Um, uh, you know, uh, Bill Putnam's Bowling Alone that mm-hmm. comes to mind. Where uh, and that book has been out for quite a long time now. With the decline of civic life, if we that we're engaging increasingly more in solitary entertainment, entertainment, and we're we're more isolated and there's less joy. So that uh, taking less time to find everything to, uh, after we've consumed everything gives us the essence of, of being together and everybody knows where their memories go the deepest and most vividly it's that the time of connection and not of uh, uh, looking at the, the piled high uh, acquisitions it, it's, it's just that simple it is it doesn't have to be super complex and um, I think especially as we're moving into the holidays really yes. kind of Stepping back and kind of practicing gratitude and giving back to your community is really important. Um, you know, like if you have time on Thanksgiving Day, maybe going to feed the hungry or something like that to really kind of maybe give a few hours of your time to those who are less fortunate is really important. And as Tammy Strobel, as you conclude in your book, it is, as you, and I'll quote you, it's beautiful. It is not about austerity, but building a life steeped in the only precious gifts that can bring lasting happiness time freedom and community the focus is on life not stuff end of your quote <laughs> well thank you for quoting that it's yeah, uh, I for, I, it's funny you forget you write certain things so. well you were but you're all over the map because you are hunting down a lovely bibliography for us so that people know that it's not an it's an, it's a it's a really heady exercise you've done all your homework both in the in research and living it out and uh, as I um, must then conclude it it is um, it's a remarkable uh, a helpful thing I mean I I think how to books we 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 also accumulate those but I think folks this is this is an essential how-to, and uh, I thank you, Tammy Strobel, for being today on Ask a Leader. All the best with the blog, and uh, I'll find out after the show. I think there were a couple of calls. Somebody must have claimed that book that I'd like to contribute, and I'll, I'll work with you on getting that copy directly to them. Thank you, Wonderful. Tammy. Thank you so much. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving and the holidays coming up. Likewise. Thank Take you. Care. Well, that is a, a treat. That was Tammy Strobel, author of... You Can Buy Happiness, and it is cheap, uh, whose aim is to develop our own definition of simple living and happiness. Well, I am uh, going to remind everybody before I take a music break and get our next guest, we are in the middle of a KUCI fun drive. Heather is outside. Thank you, Heather, for putting in even more time for this radio station, keeping it all together. The number, folks, to call to support us in our fun drive is 949 824 
or if you can't write that down, you can always remember your area code 949-UCI-KUCI. Folks, we've got vinyl we're giving away with a $50 pledge. We've got CDs. We've got tickets. We've got shirts and books. Uh, we've got uh, the, on a vinyl. I'm particularly interested. I want to see if it's already sold. Lee, uh, Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra. That is amazing to me. I want to, um, I'm, I'm, I'll check it out and see if it's around. So, But where else can you get vinyl? And it's a great, it's, it's beautiful vinyl. So um, we need your support so that we can keep providing our alternative radio my earnest public affairs radio programming and all the kind of edgy, sweet, provocative, endearing, enduring kind of content that only community radio can give you. As I said last week, I'll say it again, this is your only community radio. And we're beaming out to everybody all over. So if you're listening from... uh, Louisiana, or you're listening from uh, Denver, you're listening from uh, New Mexico, or let's say Western Europe, please, you can email us, you can dial us in with 949-824-5824 for a pledge. $35 gets you started. We'll take smaller amounts, but we'd rather we start with 35 because of the funds that we need, because we're getting less and less funds now from the university. We're pretty much supporting ourselves at this point, and it takes money, folks, for this equipment to keep working with so many of us using it and wanting to make the most of this equipment, the most of the supplies here, uh, and we want to make it available to you uninterrupted. So we're going to take now a musical break. I'm waiting to hear from you on Radio KUCI. Be back in a moment with my next guest, Anne Habitzel, CEO of the Hospice Care of California. Stay with us, folks. Thank you for staying with us all. That was really a treat to have Laura Love, and she uh, that's her song, Simple. So now we're going to change gears with a, um, a topic. It's another topic near and dear to me, and that is about the whole concept of hospice during what is now the National Hospice Awareness Month. My first guest is Anne Hablitzel. She is the CEO and the founding uh I'm going to get my little notes out. The founding partner of Hospice Care of California. This uh, was founded in 1999 as an outreach from a health ministry program. She has been in healthcare for more than 40 years, so we're glad to have yet another veteran speak to us about what we need to know further more deeply. She serves on the board of directors of California State Hospice and Palliative Care Association, and with Chapka and the VA grant she's been involved in addressing the unique needs of veterans at the end of life. She's assisted in developing collaborative relationships with local hospice providers and the Veterans Administration. She comes to us today from Placentia in Orange County, California. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Anne Hablitzel. Thank you very much, Claudia, for that very kind introduction. <laughs> this is what you are due. Now, 
Hospice care, and means a lot of things to different people. I think this might be a good time to dispel any misunderstandings so we can all truly appreciate what special services that hospice care renders. Well, thank you for that opportunity to, to clarify some of those myths that may be out there. Truly, hospice is a comprehensive and compassionate program designed to provide specialized care and support for patients and family. That is our unit of care. And dealing with some type of a life-limiting illness, hospice can provide services that promote both emotional, physical, and spiritual comfort at a very sometimes difficult time in a person's life. Our emphasis is certainly not on the length of life, but on the quality of the life and what we can bring to that. It um, offers, um, through a a very interdisciplinary team, expertise in pain and symptom management. And one of the things that we have an opportunity, those who have chosen to work in hospice, we have an opportunity to enter into people's lives at a very intimate, very sometimes difficult time, but they open their lives to us. People sometimes will say, how can you do that? And I will tell you, my life has only been enriched by having had the opportunity to see people who come and walk alongside their loved ones and care for them with commitment, with love, with dignity, with respect. And being that ability to take that journey with them is just a privilege we do not take lightly. And I will tell you that... um, it truly is not about dying, but it is about living. And living as fully as we can for however many days we've been given. And it, it's remarkable. Um, myself, I've only had, um, in, in one loved one's case, uh, he was on hospice for only one day. So my experience is limited, my immediate experience. But from those who have been to, benefited from hospice, it's about this knowing presence that you sometimes like in the case of cancer you sort of have an idea of the rhythm or the trajectory the patient's on and there's so many uncertainties that can really we'll we'll use clutter in a different uh, vein uh, this half of the show that it could clutter a a loved one uh, from you know attending and being mindful and present with the person uh, whom they're losing so uh, if they sort of have an idea of what's going on if the the hospice provider care provider can uh, can give some indications of you know what what the patient's uh, present uh, presenting physically what that means and how to read that so that the, the the doubt of the unclinically trained family member can and be, can be dispelled right I think one of the things you you brought out an excellent point when you indicated um, that person was your loved one was only on one day yes fifty percent of the people that we care for are on less than 15 days. Wow. Only, only. Wow. And, and so and there's a few. I mean, the, the benefit, the hospice benefit is for approximately six months. And, you know, the legal definition is if the disease follows its normal course. But we know that not everything follows a normal right. course. And there are probably about 10% that may live longer than that six-month period. But essentially... One of the things we hear most often from our families after their loved one has died is, I wish I would have known about hospice sooner. So, again, taking this month as National Hospice Month 
and being able to heighten that awareness. I thank you for the opportunity to do that. This year's theme is called Love, Comfort, and Respect. And I think that kind of encapsulates all of our feelings about what we aim to do at the end of life. Well, and let's understand um, the, the sort of the business and uh, structure and relationships. You are the Hospice Care of California. It is a for-profit. That's a sort of a financial distinction that would, if you could just make that with us and uh, with that and with your relationship with the 35 different hospice agencies in Orange County alone. Sure, absolutely. Um, basically, that's a tax status. I think one of the important questions, uh, whether you're for-profit or non-for-profit, you really want to look at what type of services that um, are provided by that individual hospice. And um, my relationship is as I serve on the board for the California State Hospice and Palliative Care Association, I'm responsible for Region 6, which is Orange and L.A. County, and in that capacity, I am uh, bringing things forward that are occurring in Orange and L.A. County to our board in Sacramento, and we discuss them. And then I'm kind of the liaison between the two entities, our, our, our state association and our local hospice providers. There are many hospices in Orange County. There's probably about 35 or so. And, but you have the opportunity. One of the things that Medicare is just animate about is that People have choices, and you can choose. Every person and every family member has the opportunity to choose whatever Medicare hospice provider they, they desire. And I strongly encourage people to um, call and you know, ask to have somebody explain what services um, that are provided for them. If your loved one, as you mentioned, may have cancer, but they may have end-stage Alzheimer's disease, is that particular program familiar with how to care for a person who's um, at the end stage in Alzheimer's? What specialized services do they provide in order to make sure that your loved one has the knowledgeable care team that can provide that um, service for them? And it's not that one is, quote, better than the other. It's basically some of us have a different focus, if you will. Right. And, okay. and I think that's important, and it's your right to ask. Don't just rely on a discharge planner at a hospital to say, well, you must go with this one because... Do they do that? Yeah, they do. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, they sometimes will give them choices, but, but many times, unfortunately, people are not given that choice. and. Wow. You know, truly, it's it's never too early just to, when you've been diagnosed with something that may have a life-limiting consequences, maybe it's not right now, but start to learn about that. There's a wonderful um, website from National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. It's www.nhpco.org, and they okay. have a link on there that's called care connections or caring connections and it has wonderful information that are all free all downloadable and printable oh good they give you information about how to have that conversation with your loved one okay and and sometimes as difficult that as that is the holidays sometimes are one of the best times to do that mm -hmm. because you're all together as a family um and, and you may not have been together for a few months, 
and you can see maybe mom being not quite as lively as she had been. There's some things really starting to be more apparent and really trying to determine what would she want, what is she wanting, and how can we provide that as a family. And so approaching the these kinds of hospice topics, like you said, some people see it as a, it's a dying uh, kind of a, a, a kind of a, a process. But as you, but really, as you said, uh, dispelling the myth, right. it's you're you're bringing to uh, the loved one, the parent, the relative that it's because I I'm concerned about making sure you have the best possible life life as it's uh, you know right. um, live, living all the way through, right. and I want. I want to make sure of, that your comfort, that your um, that our comfort, everybody's uh, everybody's needs are being met, and I right. guess we could say how and we understand looking up this wonderful uh, resource with the the caring co- or care connections with the uh, the national chapter uh-huh. uh, that organization that we can. Uh, I I haven't had an opportunity to look at that, but uh, I'm knowing from what I uh, what I know that this was going to be. Uh, this will be a very important resource for people to pick up and and approach that so that uh, they they can sort of it's a it's a different kind of a safety net I guess we could right. consider absolutely. that absolutely and it really is one that is available to them and you know if if mom or or whoever the loved one is who may be facing that have they if they have not completed an advanced directive this is an opportunity they to make sure that that's done and really having a clear understanding of what somebody wants at the beginning and the end of life. And uh, we don't always um, consider that. But, boy, it's so important to do that. And as I've prepared some documents, those advanced directives are... They are as essential as they are. A bit complicated. It's not. It's not an intuitive document. You. Re, they're really. There's some very particular things one needs to understand about that. And that. Right. Working toward that. Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to do that in a vacuum. You want. No. To, and so, but providing the, the uh, the hospice element to that document is right. a is an amazing kind of an insurance program. Well, I want to let my listeners know that my guest in this part of the hour is Ann Hablitzel, CEO of the. California, the Hospice Care of California, talking about not only the Hospice Awareness Month around the country in November, but uh, just you know helping us understand wh- what we can do uh, in in the in the moment when with our uh, our loved ones to to assure them um, the best possible thing. And let's I'm not sure everybody understands palliative care because palliative care can come up at different times. But when we're talking about palliative care in a geriatric sense, can you just make sure we all know what that involves, what it means? Palliative is, is basically one where um, it, it may complement um, and enhance a disease modifying. So if somebody's in palliative care, they may still... Um, seek that comfort measure, but in a true palliative program, they may still be getting some aggressive therapy that isn't necessarily covered under a hospice benefit, but uh-huh. it is com- covered under some specialized programs. And, and those specialized programs are just a little bit different than the hospice benefit. It may be a person who is not quite ready for hospice, um, may still be seeking some aggressive chemotherapy, um, hoping for a cure, but the reality is, is maybe that isn't really a, a feasible option, but they still want to pursue that. And so palliative provides that support. Um, it provides that pain and symptom management as well as 
um, all of the other benefits that would come under a hospice program, but they're under a palliative. And uh, I, I do. I guess I want to go to that before we go to talk about sort of the choices that people can make besides the um, the, the care delivery for hospice is that the uh, the incidents. Is it's it's minimal, but it does happen where. And I'd like to know what the role the uh, the hospice care provider has when a person no longer qualifies. They right. they, they get better. That's right. Like a cardiovascular situation, maybe is most likely you, it. Absolutely, that's something that does happen. Um, you know, probably more often than than not. Um, and that is, they just do get better. A hospice team, that interdisciplinary team of a nurse, a social worker, a physician. Um, a social, you know, as I said, a social worker, home health aide, volunteers, all of those people come in and they're monitoring that person in their home, um, accessing them, looking at what those needs are, and just constantly with that constant attention and interventions that um, come under this pain and symptom management provision of care, that things do not progress in, in the quote, normal way, if you will, that we may hold off going to the physician for a while. But, boy, if a nurse is coming out there, they're assessing it. If antibiotics are needed or if something else is needed, they can get access to that just immediately. Right. And so that is something that, indeed, they may not progress, and, and they basically no longer meet the Medicare criteria for that particular illness. And so we may need to discharge them. And um, that's all hospice providers are required to do that. At that point, that doesn't mean that they can't come back on hospice or re-enroll, if you will, or be admitted again in the future. Right. Sometimes we see maybe a month or so down the line, we see a deterioration without that kind of aggressive symptom management, if you will, mm -hmm. of the team. And so, yes, they may absolutely come back on. So they're ready to take them back. Absolutely, absolutely. And... Uh, but the, and again, it's a pretty comprehensive benefit. It includes things like your interdisciplinary team. It includes all of the provision of um, medical equipment, any type of pharmaceutical as it relates to the diagnosis. It just covers a bereavement for families up yes. to a year following the death of their loved one. So again, it's a comfort for the, for the patient to know his loved one will be cared for. Um, it also will provide things like short-term respite. The family has a special event they want to attend to, and we can place, if they're caring for them at home, we can place that um, patient in a skilled nursing facility for about five days, allow that family a breather, if you will, or to attend a special event as well. That, oh, what an, what an amazing kind of relationship then that, that they... They uh, in the team uh, in the participation with that that process with that family they oh. build. Well, let's let's talk about then. There's choices right. operating on many levels, uh, like whether whether hospice, whether not hospice, when right. hospice, and which hospice. <laughs> let's break down those steps that uh, a prospective family would be uh, broaching. Right, exactly. I think that there are just numerous things that you have questions about and. You know, one of the things is choosing hospice and, and just recognizing, first of all, that not all are the same, um, and that's okay. Everyone may have a specific focus they, they choose to do. Um, how do I decide, you know, which one is appropriate? I think it's calling, um, asking if your loved one has been 
told that they do have a life-limiting illness and you are exploring what your options are, call the different hospices. Call three or four hospices. And there are links to the different types of hospices on both the uh, California Hospice um, website and NHPCO. You can look on them for references, which will be those are very neutral sites and not anything that is uh, proprietary, if you will. Um, and then they will give you information about how to choose. You know, what is important to you? How, how frequently will the nurse come out? Is the medical director, um, does he replace the primary physician? Um, is how mm -hmm. often will the social worker be available? How often will the home health aide come out? Is the medical director board certified in hospice and palliative care? Okay. So, again, those are type of questions and, that are important to know. And, and what will the bereavement program look like? Oh. And how will that um, support my loved ones after I am gone? And will they get what they need in order to go on, not certainly in forgetting me, but helping them cope with that loss? And that, that is important at the, to the time after that sort of oh, like a, a handshake and then you go and you, you develop you don't develop relationship with the the funiary uh sector there but uh, so it's uh it's it th that is really important that we're not left in this kind of raw open wound of uh, of grief and right. with uh, with that and um uh, and i do i want to now uh make sure that we do our due with the um mentioning on Thursday, unfortunately, it's not a time when very many of us can be there, but I would like for you, Anne, to talk about sure. the event. It's called Honor Our Veterans, taking place this Thursday, November 15th. It's from 2 to 3 in the afternoon at the Fullerton Elks Lodge at 1400 Elks Lane, uh, excuse me, 1400 Elks View Lane. And, and you've, you've given yourself as a contact here on the flyer. So uh, <laughs> Anne Hablitzel at Hospice Care, her number there, where she can be reached for more details about this or maybe, you know, other plans, other events coming up, 714-577-9656. And uh, Anne Hablitzel's, um, if you just go to the Hospice Care of of Cal, excuse me, hospicecareofca.org, then you'll be able to find Anne's um, full email address, look at other events, look at other um, blogs and things like that that are there um, at the Placentia office. So it's, uh, but let's talk then about uh, there, there is a different kind of a hospice need for veterans in general and depending on where the veteran served in combat. Can you tell us about that, Anne? Sure, absolutely. One of the things that happened probably about four years ago, the VA, the Veterans Administration, had approached the um, National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization with the recognition that as all of our population is aging, so also were the veterans who were aging. Mm. And they recognized very quickly with their limited resources, they could only care for about 4% of the aging veterans. And with that thought in mind, they approached um, NHPCO and said, we would like your assistance in being able to care for the veterans at the end of life, um, those who are facing that. But with that caveat, it was one where we needed to learn more about what veterans need at the end of life. Right. And to be able to educate ourselves. And, and I had the privilege, as, as you mentioned earlier, to be able to, we had a grant um, in California through our state association, 
I had the privilege of literally going up and down the state of California, um, providing education to hospice providers about the needs of veterans at the end of life. And many of the times we, in, in past years, had just not even um, asked whether they were a veteran. So many times as hospice providers, we were not aware of that special needs, of that culture that certainly can have a huge impact on the end of life. Um, yes. And just, you know, a couple of examples can be ones where, uh, number one, we have the opportunity to say if they are a veteran, if you've served in the military or if your family members have, to number one, thank them. Thank them for their, excuse me, for their service to our country. And as they are facing that end of life, um, knowing that if they served in World War II, there's certain medical conditions that may surface at the end of life that um, certainly will have an impact on the care. What's an example of this, Anne? Well, it can't, we, one of the things we have seen more recently, because that generation was young, very impressionable when they were serving. Many of them were 16, 18 years old, lied to get in. It was a war that was glorified. Um, there weren't the TV programs that certainly showed everything at that point. So it was a war that w the whole country embraced and celebrated, if you will. And as a result of that, many of them were very stoic when they came back with what they had seen and maybe what they had experienced. And one of the things that we are seeing now is what we're calling um, latent PTSD, which means they may never have been diagnosed with um, PTSD, but at the end of life, um, they are struggling with some of those flashbacks and being able to help them work through that, having compassionate listening skills, just that recognition and awareness that this is a, you know, a possibility. Huge, and huge. It and is. I'm thinking huge. it may be a kind of a, a, a bottleneck where uh, they're going through this sort of arterial of... Um, end of life that's right. narrowing and they've got uh, or say it's a bottleneck of that of uh this unprocessed um hardcore experience and sure. that, that must be processed so they can let go and go on and uh, it must be a unwieldy important uh, pro, uh i guess training and understanding to mindfulness Absolutely. to know how to approach them in in your hospice care and one of the things that we um uh, also, is that having another veteran as their volunteer? Yes. That's an you know obviously an integral part of the hospice. A peer for them. And yes, because sometimes they will relate to a, a, another veteran. There's a camaraderie that those of us who haven't served um, so will never it. have. Right. But we can try to be compassionate listeners. But to have that camaraderie of a veteran to a veteran is just something that we've experienced and has been just incredibly important. But we wanted to just take time. We have worked really hard to educate each other, the hospice community and the Veterans Administration. And, and one of the things, and we're working on sustaining that effort, continuing to learn. And one of the things we wanted to do, though, is in November, since it's National Hospice Month and we just celebrated Veterans Day, right. that we wanted to take time to just celebrate all of our efforts and our ongoing commitment to sustain our work in caring for veterans at the end of life and being aware of what services may be available to them, 
learning about the different wars and the impact on the end-of-life care that they may be um, undergoing and that we have to be aware of and what um, the Korean War veterans were in subjected to very cold type of um, uh, exposure. climate. Uh-huh. And so what ended up happening, many of them have um, just uh, a, a residual of just cold and neuropathy in their feet. And sometimes they're not able to say that, but we have to be aware that right. if they served in Korea, they may have this, and we need to assess and monitor that. Well, I, as we're about to close, I would, <laughs> I would like for you, Anne Heblitzel, um, she is the CEO of the uh, Hospice Care of California on uh, Ask a Leader today, uh, I, would you please convey to those veterans assembled our heartfelt gratitude for their sacrifice. Let them know they were the subject of today's interview on the radio and uh, that we really extend our appreciation, our gratitude to them. I, I think you probably just said uh, what I would love to convey, and that is basically is that we do want to honor them. They have served our country. They have provided us the freedom that we um, have each and every day, the freedom to choose and the freedom to live, and basically that we want to honor them by um, making sure that the end of their life as they um, are coming, as that is coming to a close, that we are able to support them, to provide them with that excellent care that they so um, sacrificially gave to us as well. And I just want to ask uh, quickly as we close here, because I, I really don't know uh, the demographic. Do many of the veterans with whom hospice is uh, trying to reach out to, are many of them pretty on their own? Are, they are, are A larger share of them have no family left with them? There are a number, especially in um, San Diego County, really? and uh, have a homeless population. We have actually cared for a couple of homeless um, veterans as well, um, and but we're able to make some arrangements and, and actually get them placed into a safe facility at the for the end of their life. But wow. um, actually, Orange County has a wonderful resource in their um, homeless veteran population and. They do a great job. They know where all of them are, and they do. Good. Oh, yeah. Good. I, I mean, I was really surprised at that as well. That's, you know, those are things that we have learned along the way with that collaborative um, emphasis and all, and they do a marvelous job along those lines, oh, too. Thank you so much, Anne, for the tall order that you're serving, and uh, I appreciate that. And we will always uh, have be open to you as your community radio. We can c- explore some other things. That's Anne Hablitzel, CEO of Hospice Care of California. Thank you so much, Anne, for being on Ask a Leader today. Thank you, Claudia.